0: Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. I'm going to divert from my notes for just a few moments to address the situation in Ukraine from a very personal point of view. Some of you know, some of you don't that prior to ministry, I worked in the international container shipping business. And in 1995, the company I was working for went into a joint venture arrangement with the Port of of Odessa Authority to privatize and westernize the container terminal facility at the Port of Odessa on the Black Sea in the newly independent country of Ukraine. This was 1995. Ukraine attained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. It was a very heady and very unusual working environment, to say the least. As we inherited a workforce of over 200, where by American standards we maybe needed 60, but we worked it out. We arranged for the man with the suitcase full of dollars to show up once a month at a prearranged point, because that's how we had to do business. And I made friends and contacts there. You see, the company didn't know that as an undergraduate I'd studied Russian and it was very helpful. And although I couldn't do my own translation, I could at least get around on my own because Odessa was a Russian-speaking city. What was done during the Soviet era was wherever there was a military sens- militarily sensitive area, the native population was moved out and ethnic Russians were moved in, the belief being that they would be loyal to Moscow. So while I was there, I walked on my Russian, and I developed a friendship with one of my translators. We, were t- we text pretty much daily. She and her husband live in Kiev. She has made it to Bucharest in Romania, where she's safe. And I cry, and I'm angry at the insanity and brutality and unfairness of what is being inflicted upon these people, ultimately upon the Russian people. And it opens my eyes and is a reminder that this consciousness of brutality and insanity isn't only found in the Russian dictator. It's found all over the world. There are reasons why the Syrians had to flee and run. There are reasons why people in Latin America are fleeing and running. There are reasons all over the world why people are endeavoring to escape violence and crime. It is our calling to do what we can, collectively and individually, to raise that consciousness and to address the humanitarian crises that are found all over the world. So yes, we pray for the people of Ukraine. We pray for the Syrian refugees. We pray for the Afghan new arrivals. We pray for the Central American immigrants yearning to have safety. We pray for the indigenous peoples in this country who have been subject to that same torturous treatment forever. We pray for minorities and marginalized people in our country and around the world who have been subject to cruelty and unfairness and violence for no other reason than that they exist and they want equality and freedom. So we do our prayer work. And we do our own inner work to see where there are shadows in ourselves. Because as a human being, we all have shadows. Not to guilt or shame ourselves, but simply to recognize and release. Because in that process of recognition and release, we free ourselves to be the individualized expressions of Christ consciousness that we know ourselves to be. Intellectually, we want to make that a lived experience. And as Dr. King said, a threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So we want to look in our hearts and in our minds to see where there are the disparities between what we say we are and what we actually live. Again, not to shame or blame, but simply to release so that we might be free and live in the consciousness of oneness. This time in our nation's history and in the world's history is pivotal. It is a calling to each and every one of us to be who we've come here to be, not to accept the status quo because it's comfortable, but to stretch, to grow, to emerge into Christ in you, the hope of glory, to give that shape and form and to work so that every other man, woman, and child has that same opportunity. So yes, these are heady times. These are scary times. These are angering times. And yet these are the best of times because, my friends, we are waking up to our calling ever more fully than we ever have. And I'm sure there are many of you, as I have been saying, really? I wasn't white before? Well, it's time for an energy drink, boys and girls, because we've got work to do. And when I chat with my friend, who is now in Bucharest, I'm so grateful I'm not there. And I'm ever more committed to the work of of establishing peace, abundance, and respect for all creation. may not be easy, but it is worth it. So to that end, there was a beautiful poem posted on social media by John Rodel on February 26, and I wanted to share it with you today, and you may want to check out some of his other writings. It doesn't have a name. And he wrote, I can't make the world peaceful, I can't stall tanks roaring down roads. I can't prevent children from having to hide in bunkers. I can't convince the news to stop turning war into a video game. I can't silence the sound of bombs tearing neighborhoods apart. I can't turn a guided missile into a bouquet of flowers. I can't make a warmonger have any sense of empathy. And I can't convince ambassadors to quit playing truth or dare. I can't deflect a sniper's bullet from turning a wife into a widow. I can't stave off a country being reduced to ash and rubble. I can't do any of that. The only thing I can do is to love the next person I encounter without any conditions or strings. To love my neighbor so fearlessly that it starts a ripple that stretches from one horizon to the next. I can't force peace on the world, but I can become a force of peace in the world because... Sometimes all it takes is a single candle lit in the darkness to start a movement. Lord, make me a candle of comfort in the world and let me burn with peace. I can't help but wonder if Jesus asked himself these or comparable questions in his time. For his time was a time of strife and empire and oppression and scarcity. And yet he became and still remains a candle burning with peace. And we, each one of us in like fashion, can be candles too. Because the world needs us to be those candles. The world needs us to be those candles. And yes, process our human emotions. I certainly had a meltdown with the trustees yesterday. Thanks for holding me. And then get back to the business of being a candle of peace in the world. Today is the first Sunday of the Lenten season, a wonderful liturgical period of 40 days, which is spiritual preparation for Easter. And this year, thanks to Carol Bradley sitting in the back room, I'm calling you out. Our inspiration was drawn from a giant candle of peace, the great theologian Howard Thurman, and the meditations he published in a book called Meditations of the Heart. Thank you, Carol. We have loved getting ready for this series, Amy and I. Because as an added blessing for this series, Amy Conley, our amazing director of music and arts, has crafted original music, spoken word, and uh, presentations specifically for this series, and today you will hear one of the most awesome original compositions I have heard in years, seriously. It is a blessing to call Amy a partner in ministry, because this week... This first Sunday of Advent, we'll learn how good it is to center down. So let's take a look at this man, Howard Thurman, who, though not associated with unity or new thought, has had a profound influence in multiple areas that are dear to us in unity and new thought. Nonviolence, the inward journey, Jesus, mysticism, inclusive faith, and peace. And if I could, and I think I can, I'm going to require all of you to make a private study of Howard Thurman. There you go. So about the man himself, he was born in 1899 in Florida and spent most of his childhood in Daytona in one of its three all-black neighborhoods. He was profoundly influenced by his grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, who had been enslaved on a plantation in Madison County, Florida and his mother, Alice, and together they were members of a Baptist church and were women of deep faith. His father died when he was seven years old, and after completing the eighth grade, Thurman attended the Florida Baptist Academy in Jacksonville, a hundred miles from his home, because it was one of only three, three high schools for African Americans for Florida in Florida at that time. In 1923, he he had gone on and graduated from Morehouse College as its valedictorian, and he had a roommate whose son became very famous because his roommate was Martin Luther King, Sr. Later, he was ordained as a Baptist minister in Roanoke, Virginia, while uh, still a seminarian, and he graduated from seminary in 1926, top of his class. In the late 20s, he served as a minister at Mount Zion Baptist Church in Oberlin, Ohio, which is interesting for us in unity because that Oberlin, Ohio is the home of Oberlin College, which is where Myrtle Fillmore, co-founder of the unity movement, went to college, which a lot of women did not do in the 1860s, but she did. It is the same town that graduated the first African-American female with a bachelor's degree, Mary Jane Patterson, in 1862. Ms. Patterson went on to do most of her teaching career in Washington, D.C. Later on, he uh, had a joint assignment at Morehouse and Spelman Colleges in Atlanta, where his field was religion and philosophy. He further studied uh, at Haverford College with Rufus Jones, who was a noted Quaker uh, and mystic. Thurman had a local connection here in that he was selected the first dean of Rankin Chapel at Howard University in the District of Columbia, and he served there from 1932 to 1944. He also served on the Divinity School faculty at Howard University. He traveled widely around the world and met with interesting figures such as Mahatma Gandhi. And it was interesting because when Thurman asked Gandhi what message he should take back to the United States, Gandhi said that he regretted not having made nonviolence more visible as a practice worldwide and famously remarked, It may be through the Negroes that the unadulterated message of nonviolence will be delivered to the world. In 1944, Thurman left his tenured position at Howard to help found the Reconciliation Fellowship, Fellowship of Reconciliation, and established the first church of fellowship for all peoples in San Francisco, which was the first racially integrated intercultural church in the United States, where he served as co-pastor, white man, Dr. David Fisk. He later went on to Howard University where he became the dean of Marsh Chapel and which made him the first black dean of chapel at a majority white college in the United States. He also served on the faculty of Boston University School of Theology. Once he left Boston, he continued his ministry through the uh, board and the work of the Howard Thurman Educational Trust in San Francisco. In his most famous book, Jesus for the Disinherited, which was inspired by his participation in a 1935 American pilgrimage to Asia, he was questioned by a Hindu man about, why are you a Christian? Since it was Christians who enslaved and sold Africans for hundreds of years. Thurman recalled that mark because the man said to him, sir, I think that you are a traitor to all the darker peoples of the earth. His book, Jesus for the Disinherited, was his public answer. And if you have not read it, I encourage you to read it. You know, sometimes people come to unity who have had unpleasant, even painful experiences with other members of the Christian families of faith. And Thurman said that it cannot be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful, against the weak and the oppressed. All this despite the gospel. We see this today in Christian nationalism in whatever nation it is found, because it is found globally. Globally. These sort of experiences often lead people away from the traditional church and to movements such as ours. Listen to what Thurman said. He said, the basic fact is that Christianity, as it was born in the mind of this Jewish teacher and thinker, appears as a technique for survival of the oppressed. That it became, through the intervening years, a religion of the powerful and dominant, sometimes used as an instrument of oppression, must not tempt us into believing that it was thus in the mind and in the life of Jesus. Wherever his spirit, or as in unity we might say, wherever the Christ consciousness appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage. For he announced the good news that fear, hypocrisy, and hatred, the three hounds of hell that trail the disinherited need have no dominion over them. Moreover, in the same book, he highlighted the importance of tending to one's inner life. He said, Jesus recognized with authentic realism that anyone who permits another to determine the quality of his inner life gives into the hands of the others the key to his own destiny. If a man knows precisely what he can do to you or what epithet he can throw at you in order to make you lose your temper, your equilibrium, then he will always keep you under suppression. Central to our unity teachings and new thought teachings is the importance of tending to our spirits, tending to our inner life, You see, Thurman was addressing one's capacity to maintain equilibrium in the face of life's challenges because all lives have challenges, some very personal and some collective. Good grief, the last two years would be pretty much proof enough for all of us. Everybody's got problems. Everyone has power. And that's what he was saying. Remember your power. Remember who you are. Tend to your spirit. So how did he encourage people to develop a firm foundation of faith, a firm foundation of one's inner life? Well, one of the terms he used in a beautiful meditation was center down. You know, we did a wonderful exercise. Well, you don't know, but we do. We did a wonderful exercise yesterday. Bowman had us put our our hands just right below our belly buttons because that's the center of gravity. That's our center. And so Thurman wrote this really beautiful poem about how good it is to center down. So I'm going to read the poem, but I invite you, if you're comfortable, just put your hands right there at your, at your center. And if you're throughout the course of the day, if you're feeling riled or feeling like somebody's got you under their thumb or something, put your hands on your center and affirm, I am centered down. I am poised. I am strong. I am balanced. I have my equilibrium. And this is what he said. How good it is to center down to sit quietly and see oneself pass by. The streets of our minds seethe with endless traffic. Our spirits resound with clashing, with noisy silences, while something deep within hungers and thirsts for the still moment and the resting lull. With full intensity, we seek air thicket passes a fresh sense of order in our living. A direction, a strong, sure purpose that will structure our confusion and bring meaning to our chaos. We look at ourselves in this waiting moment the kinds of people we are. The questions persist. What are we doing with our lives? What are the motives that order our days? What is the end of our doings? Where are we trying to go? Where do we put the emphasis and where are our values focused? For what end do we make sacrifices? Where is my treasure? And what do I love most in my life? What do I hate most in my life? And to whom or what am I true? Over and over the questions beat upon the waking moment. As we listen, floating up through all the jangling echoes of our turbulence, there is another kind of sound, a deeper note, which only the stillness of the heart makes clear. It moves directly to the core of our being. Our questions are answered our spirits refreshed and we move back into the traffic of our daily round with the peace of the eternal in our steps. How good it is to center down. Mm. Amen. Amen. You know, in his life... Thurman lived through Jim Crow and World War I, the 1918 pandemic, the Great Depression, segregation, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, political assassinations, recessions. But none of these detracted from his commitment to being a candle of peace and healing in the world. No darkness no darkness overcame his light. In our day, we have challenges of our own. But Thurman's call to center down is just as imperative for us now as it was when he physically was here. So our homework is not unlike the homework Miss Wolf gave the kids in the Unity Animal School. Our homework is to do just that every day. Center down so that with our spirits refreshed, we can move back into the daily round of the traffic of our lives with the peace of the eternal in our steps. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia every Sunday at nine and 11 a.m. or View our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.